Hey divas, are you gay? Are you skinny? Are you hot? Are you a Marxist? Are you my mom? Are you manacled to a debilitating drug problem? Are you paralyzed by the weight and inevitability of human extinction? If you are any of these things or none of them and are still listening to my stupid podcast for some reason, then you simply must join my new Discord server. That's right, I'm So Popular has a brand new dedicated Discord server for chat and discussion on all the topics you love. Come harass me about my makeup, drag your friends, post incriminating screenshots of people you don't like anymore, whine about your day, have a drink, contribute to my podcast's unending assault on the population of the world. You can check out the link in the description to join or find a link on my website, I'mPopular.me where you can also stream every episode of the show thus far and check out the most embarrassing quotes from the fools I've tricked onto coming on. See you there, divas. Now, let's get tonight's episode started. I'm so popular. I'm here with tonight's guest. Who are you? I'm Ronald. Hi, Ronald. What are you doing? Um, just living, existing, being, working, writing. Um, as far as writing and why I'm here primarily is because of my writing. Um, I write for a site called Arama Japan, which is aramajapan.com. And I also have a side bit writing for the Japan Times. You can find my work at the Japan Times if you just Google the Japan Times Ronald Taylor. And you can also find me on Twitter at Taylor Ronald, which is how me and Zach connected and how I'm truly here today. Yeah, so I guess I should ask you, you're my first follower to ever be on the pod. So why do you follow me? I followed you because you were kind of like in the circle and I figured I would bring more people in the circle. And basically by the circle, what I really mean is like hack Twitter. Um, yes. <laughs> hack Twitter is like something that I rail against on the Arama Japan podcast, but then also it's like kind of like my home. I don't know. Oh yeah. I mean, you have to hate where you're from. So it's like, Oh, like move forward, people. But then it's kind of just like, oh, this is nice. Um, yeah. So hack Twitter, like you run hack Twitter, and I didn't follow you, and so I was just like, oh, I should follow him too. But um, I also liked looking more at your 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 profile. Like there are some things that we have a similar interest in. Like, I believe so. I remember you were that guy that had like his dick wrapped in a bandana. For pride, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people were very like anti that, and I was just like, I don't see a problem with that. Like, I don't think pride is a place for kids. Like, I am in complete agreement because, um, yeah, I, I just talked about this on another episode with one of my other little faggoty friends, but um, there's been a very tragic back push against like open queer sexuality by like these moralist teenagers and Mm -hmm. I find it very frightening and when I saw 
that simple, beautiful man and his little bandana, you know, I just thought, well, good for him. Like, I think that's nice. And it disappointed me that these fucking teenagers were so angry about it. Do you know what's even nicer? Tell me. His OnlyFans. Um, Period. <laughs> are you, like, an OnlyFans user? Like, are you, like, on the thing? Like, as, like, like being, a, like, a mo- like an OnlyFans model? No, 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 no. <laughs> like, uh, consuming the content. Consuming the content? I'm not on there, but I am consuming the content. Okay, I tried one time, and it, like, declined my debit card, and I was like, okay, this is a sign from Jesus that I'm not allowed. No OnlyFans for me. <laughs> if, if, you Google his, if you Google somebody's name... Okay. Is, oh, I know. This is a lesson. I know. <laughs> this is a lesson in piracy, which is, like, basically how... Um, like, let's be real about something, first of all. If you, let's be real. If you were a J-pop fan before the age of streaming... You were engaging in piracy. Yes, because there is very, very, very limited amount of ways for teenagers who have no debit cards or bank accounts to, like, purchase Japanese music. So you can buy it through iTunes. You can, like, order CDs of it. Like, what are you going to do? You're not going to not listen to it, that's for sure. So, yeah, I think we're both very acquainted with piracy. So it's kind of just like apply the same logic to OnlyFans. Like you Google his name and type in OnlyFans and then you can consume some of the content that people decide. Well, trust me, I know. I have been to LPSG before. Like I. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I've been there. I have been there. So I do I do know this circuit a little <laughs> a little bit. See, that that's very incriminating, but only for people who know what it is. So not large penis support group. Is that what it is that what that stands for? Yes, it stands for large penis support group. <laughs> oh, my beautiful simple brain did not understand that. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> yes, it stands for large penis support group. Um um Yes, so reflecting on large penis support group, I guess I have to, what, even before I started this podcast, I knew that I wanted the Ronald Taylor on it because I view both me and you as kind of um, villains of the J-pop community. Um, for me, it's mostly because I very openly will shit talk on some artists and sometimes my political opinions are not really quite the same as the... 17-year-old wokey communists who are now slowly beginning to occupy the movement. Um, and I think that both of us get a lot of flack and anger on Twitter, so I thought you would be the perfect guest for my first follower. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I can kind of see that. Like, for the longest time, I thought that you didn't like me, in part because you were such a rabid Utada fan, and I have been known to um, shit on Utada quite a bit well i know that i know for a fact that before you followed me that i had specifically shit talked to you um after reading your um what was it it was the the utara hikaru like career 20 year like retrospective oh yeah so the thing is though is that i actually thought that that was amazing i thought that that was a beautifully written piece by myself of course i did yes by me of course but (laughs) people had an issue with that and I was just like, this is my thinking about that piece. I went into that as somebody 
who has a long history of Hitata. And what I did is I linked parts of my life to her music. Yes, as any good writer should. But the thing is, though, is that some people said it was self-indulgent and self-centered. And I think the last bit of that was, I think the last part of that was me and this guy, this Japanese guy, singing um, Prisoner of Love as a duet. Oh, I've been, I've done that before. (laughs) I've been there. I've seen it. Yeah, it was like a small, like, bar in Nichome on, like, the fourth floor. You know, they have, like, those towers of just, like... Oh, of course I know. Of course I know. Yeah, so it was just, like, it was, like, my friend, he had found, like, a bear bar that he wanted to go to. And so we were in a bear bar in Nichome, like, on the fourth floor of this building. And, like, me and this, like, Prisoner of Love came on, and, like, I started singing it. I was drunk and he started singing it too. And we were like kind of like singing it together. And like that, like right there is a memory of Utada. And then so if I have all these like actual memories of Utada, why am I not going to write about that when we're talking about her career and retrospect? Okay. So I totally understand where you're coming from um, because I do think that the personal is political and you know, all that, you know, rhetoric that when you're writing you should be reflecting on yourself while you're reflecting on your topic or whatever i guess the the fury and the rage which you know i did buy into for a moment was that this is utada's moment this is her moment for her celebration and no one wants to hear about how you fell out of her more recent music but i i do agree with your writing if that makes sense Hmm. i agree with your angle i just don't agree with the the (laughs) The, my the result opinion on her recent music but i mean like that's correct i mean like how many other people are going to write about singing you taught on a bear bar i can name one other and it's me so not that many oh my god so villains united like yeah so what yeah well i guess this is a good segue into the first topic for mm-hmm. today which is japanese pop music i'm curious about how you got into it so I'm going to really like date myself by this, but I think everyone already knows. Um, so basically it was like 2003, 2004, around that time. And I was on a Karimanogue forum and <laughs> there was a section called Other Music. And the Other Music section basically was like the J-pop section. Because they yes. had the Kylie section, they had, like, other artists, like, uh, so I guess you would talk about, like, Britney and, like, Madonna in there. And then other other music was kind of, like, the segregated off J-pop section. And basically, it was a bunch of gay men talking about J-pop. Okay, so you were exposed that way. And then, like, what kind of appeal did j-pop bring to you like what was like the aesthetic influence like what what made you like keep listening to it like why did you like it excuse me um so at the time a lot of people i knew like online and in real life too were listening to a lot of international music so it was like you were looking okay. american something british of course because they're singing in english but then like 
there was like the Polish music and then like the Italian music and then like Japanese music and Taiwanese music that all kind of like fit into like kind of like this, like basically what we're really seeing now as far as- Right, but just, you know, yeah, two decades earlier. (laughs) Yeah, it's basically just like what we're seeing now, but 20 years ago almost. And the one thing I really liked about Japanese music was that there were so many different branches you could go off into. Like I personally, absolutely. like one of the acts I really enjoy and still enjoy and had the opportunity to interview last year was Mflow. And they had their series where they're working with like all these different artists over the years. So like kind of like people like Kodakumi and Double and like a bunch of like different artists. And so you just go and start listening to those artists too. So like, it's a lot of branches you can go off into. You start with one act and you go into other acts and then, then you start going into like who they're influenced by. So it takes you back like into like the 90s, the 80s, the 70s. So I really like yeah. how developed it was and how far you can fall down the rabbit hole. Yes, because, you know, the Japanese music market is the second biggest in revenue after the United States. And uh, my, my, I think my favorite thing about, like, the genre as a whole is that um, it has its own distinct character and it has a lot of its own independent influences and it has its own sound. Um, and obviously we're having this big moment where Korean pop music is, like, shining in an international market. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's great, and I'm very you know pleased or whatever. But a lot of contemporary Korean music is just like American imports of like music made by Black people. But like Japanese music is like Japanese music, and you can still hear it in like the songs that are popular today, or like mm-hmm. even in like in the structure of idol songs and things. Like there doesn't there doesn't really have like there doesn't really have beautiful grammar. There doesn't really exist like any other like comparable sibling in like Western music to like a lot of the stuff that's still popular or has been popular throughout like the history of Japanese music. So I think that that's like really exciting and interesting. And I know that when I was going down like the same rabbit hole that you were, that I was just so impressed with the diversity and Mm -hmm. the, like the idiosyncrasies that are there that just like do not exist in the music I've been, you know, steeped in my whole life, which is, you know, American music. So I I definitely know what you're saying. I, I, that's how I kind of fell in love with it too. Who was like the first, like, um, who was like the first J-pop diva that you truly stand? Who you like, you were here for? Like, who was that? Truly stand? Um, it definitely wasn't Ayumi Hamasaki. I will say that because I thought her voice was... Period. No. I thought her voice was absolutely horrible. It probably would have been Utada. But one thing I really want to say real quick is that one thing that people really forget about Japanese music in general is the fact that somebody said to me one time just like, well, Japanese music is just like influenced by uh, excuse me by other music and i'm like yes it is but the thing is those people real don't realize and remember is that electronic music is inherently japanese because yes, because you, so much of the production materials and the instruments used in electronic music came from here and were developed by japanese musicians like you know sakamoto ryuchi and well, stuff so like yellow magic orchestra is one of the very first electronic music apps. yes yes and so it's kind of yes like, <laughs> the idea that like electronic music 
is not Japanese and it's something that Japan took from the West and like brought over, it's like, that is completely wrong. Like Roland, who was making the synthesizers for everybody, is a Japanese company. Exactly. And so much of that music that was originating here, like here, meaning Japan, um, like during that time period is still really standing the test of time and is still influential. Like, you know, obviously like Sakamoto Ryuchi is still doing so many film scores and Mm -hmm. like his stuff with Yellow Magic Orchestra and a lot of his early music, like has a big role in what pop sounds like in the West now. Like, I feel like without kind of the techniques he developed and like the, the way his music existed, like we wouldn't even have like stuff like Dua Lipa or like Mm -hmm. Lady Gaga's new stuff, you know, because it's referencing his kind of music that like, he pioneered in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, speaking of which, Criterion Collection right now is having a little, like, mini film festival of all the movies that he has done the score work for. So many good ones. So things like, I just, like, I, said, I say this and I blank. He did The Revenant. Um, he did a Japanese movie called Rage. Uh, he did The Handmaiden's Tale, the, the movie that was the movie that came before the Hulu series. He did, um, I'm blanking, he did a Pedro Almodovar movie, which is included, but I'm blanking on which one. It oh, shit. It wasn't Arrival. It was... Um... It was something like in the 90s. I'm I'm so mad. I'm oh, shit. Deep. Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, perhaps? Or... Girl, I have not seen that. <laughs> it may, yeah, but like pretty much like all of the movies that he's done, like they have a little like film festival. And also a little other random yellow magic orchestra fact. The Jennifer Lopez, Mariah Carey feud is based on a yellow magic orchestra sample. Oh, I did know this. In fact, Uh, my boyfriend and I were just talking about this recently because um, my boyfriend is a very big Mariah Carey stan. And I had stumbled across this information myself and he was like, oh, yes, I know this. I cannot introduce any new information or new photographs to him. He's seen them all and he knows everything. So for those that don't know, um, pretty much like Mariah Carey is, Mariah Carey is married to Tommy Latola, who was the head of Sony Records, I think it was, in the U.S. And then so once they divorced, he pretty much like got Jennifer Lopez to kind of like go and be the new Mariah aesthetically right aesthetically definitely not vocally um yeah (laughs) not vocally so basically there was a yellow magic orchestra song called firecracker and mariah really wanted to use that sample for her song candy for the glitter soundtrack and so some people got wind of this and jennifer ended up using it before she did for her song i'm real like, like, kind of like the whistle part, like the. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That is from Yellow Magic Orchestra. And then so Jennifer used that and I'm Real. And Mariah Carey ended up having to use um, Candy by Cameo instead to base her song off of. Yeah. So, I mean, you can even just like from, you know, that discussion, like it's so obvious to me that like Japanese music has like this really interesting relationship with Western music where, you know, they kind of take and give with each other. But whereas like K-pop kind of just like takes and takes, it doesn't like really generate anything that Mm -hmm. you could not find in the West. But like, 
you know, this Yellow Magic Orchestra stuff, um, like, especially their, their early albums, too, before they kind of went with their, like, Naughty Boys, like, pop image and everything. Like, it's very idiosyncratic, and I think that it's so special and something you can't, like, really find, like, elsewhere. Like, even thinking about something like, I know I just trashed her a moment ago, but, like, Ayumi Hamasaki's Miracle World. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, a very special project. Like what is that song like kind of just like you have like these strings and then you also have like these like whirling like rock guitars there's just like a lot of songs that are actual hits in japan that i couldn't imagine being like a hit in the west oh yeah there's i mean the fact that utari hikoru is so popular in japan is like pretty remarkable i mean her first two albums you know First Love and Distance are obviously, like, pretty, like, big pop R&B records, but she really cultivated an image as, like, a singer-songwriter while being not an especially talented singer. But people are really, like, invested in her emotional narrative, and I think that's something about the Japanese music market is that people do have, like, a a stronger eye for, like, the, the narratives and the kind of writing that people are doing with their, like, grand career throughout their, you know, their discography i think that's also one of the reasons why japan is one of the few markets today where you actually can still have a ballad as a hit exactly because it has that moment of catharsis and it has like that that note in the narrative overall where the audience is interested in it and it's like um an extra step or like the next you know story push forward for that artist so I, I think it's a really special, exciting thing. You only kind of get to see that with, like, um, experimental artists in the West. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, like, Kate Bush, I think Bjork, I think kind of like Janet Jackson or Madonna, you know. Every now and then there's a few of them, but generally speaking, like, the Western consumption of music is not so much about the narrative and the persona. It's, like, much more about, like, the actual song at least like in recent memory anyway but i think like one of the big things that i interviewed a producer one time and his name escapes me right now i'm so mad about that but i asked him about the difference between k-pop and j-pop because he's worked in both industries and he basically said that like j-pop is a lot more melody based whereas k-pop is a lot more beat based because I can see it. Because, like, basically, the J-pop itself is rooted more in jazz and in rock, which are a lot more melody-based, whereas um, K-pop is more rooted in hip-hop and EDM, which are more beat-based and sometimes don't even really have a melody. Okay. Yeah, I can totally see it. Um, and I think that so many... Um, pop musicians like in the 80s as well in Japan were so enmeshed in jazz that the effect still lingers, you know, to this day. Like, I wonder how many artists today outside of Japan, like mainstream artists, I mean, outside of Japan, when they sit down and like, first of all, the whole concept of like making a song is totally different in Japan. Because like, of course. if you look at a lot of artists, like Utada, for example, when you look at the credits, it is like written by Utada, composed by Utada, arranged by her sometimes. And right. where as far as like here, you could have like 
16 people writing the song, another 16 producing it because composing and producing are, composing and arranging are lumped together in the West as production. So it's just like, you have so many like hands in the pot in the West as opposed to Japan where a lot of times it's just one person, maybe two. But the thing is though, yeah. going back to that, it's like in the West, like Utada, for example, like she'll sit down and start a song by like playing the piano a bit or playing the guitar a bit. Like how many people in the U.S., in the West today, actually start off a song by just like tinkering on a piano? Precisely. And, um, you know, we, we've been kind of shitting on Ayu a little bit, but like even she like has a huge part in the production of her lyrics um mm-hmm. and has a really like unique narrative voice like she writes a lot like, she she writes a lot in third person um and even for her who i think is maybe artistically and individually like a little less interesting than hickey is perhaps like i think that she still has like a unique voice and like a really strong angle to her image and then you even go as far as like Amuro, and she basically had everything written for her and like everything produced for her. But even at that point, it was still like one or two people doing everything. Yeah. Like starting off, it was just like basically just one person because it was Tetsuya Komoro doing right. everything from like pretty much from the time she went solo up until like the very early 2000s when like you started having like Dallas Austin get involved. And then it just like kind of like she started working with more and more different producers after that point. And I think you can tell with her as well because I think that her first albums are by far her strongest. Oh, definitely. And I was really surprised when I saw a ranking of her discography lately, and so many people had like um I think you probably know which one I'm talking about, like, but like past feature as like the top. Yeah, I was shook because in my mind those are not her strongest by any means and i could not believe that concentration 20 was so low so um randy randall all known on twitter as okay bitch oh yes um, <laughs> the 90s archivist as he put it on the arama podcast when he was on he quoted he tweeted something he like retweeted that whole thing that ranking and he was just like it's like as if this ranking is inverted yeah, it could be completely inverted. I, I was just liking those tweets yesterday because I was like, yes, like this literally could be flipped on its head and it would make much more artistic sense to me. Like, and it was just like, I was like, yeah, it could be inverse. And then so I was like, well, basically basic gays liking basic pop. And then here comes somebody with the word, their their username was um Bara Basic. And they were just like, Nami has created, it's like none of your faves have ever created an, an album as like cohesive and as well put together as past future and i'm just like nami the only thing nami's ever created was her son okay that's that is a story <laughs> i'm gonna get so dragged for what you just said on this show oh my god well the thing is that people know people like okay So Hannah, my friend, who's on Twitter as angry, I can't say the name, it's something Korean and I get tongue twisted. In any case, yeah. Um, 
we were like talking about just like we listed like our favorite artists on Twitter recently and like she was just like I really do see like you really are into people who like are in complete and utter control of their music I'm like yeah actually it was the people by decade I had a thing where I was just like list your favorite female soloists by like decades so like people like in their teens 20s 30s 40s 50s 60s yeah and so I named somebody who you do not like for 40s. Who did you say? Oh, oh, you you named um you named Grandma Pringles. Yes, I named Grandma Pringles, as you put it. Though <laughs> is that like 30s would be Katumilia. When you look at her discography, it is just like written and composed by her. Ringo. I would pick Utada first, but okay. I like Milia because Milia actually can sing. Um. Yeah, but I've never felt anything as strongly from any of her music as I have from, like, five seconds on Deep River. Yeah, I guess it's, like, opinion. This is opinion. You cannot say that this one is based on fact, because this is truly opinion. But the thing is, though, I will admit is that when Milia came out, she was one of the people that was called, like, the next Utada due to the fact that she was, like, a 16-year-old who was writing and composing her songs. So like yes. all of the like next Utadas that have come out since Utada, like Milia is like the only one that's actually like had some success and hasn't disappeared after like a couple of years. And then like just thinking about like other favorite females, like for my sixties, it was clear I was gonna put like a Kiko Yano. Oh, I love her. Like one of my- Sakamoto's ex-wife. Yes, yes. Her, yes. Wife. One of my favorite artists, I got the opportunity to interview her in, I think it was 2017. Shit. Yeah, it was, um, she was performing at Japan Day in New York in Central Park. And we, I talked to her for a bit on a park bench in Central Park. And yeah, it was a- So fucking magical, oh my God. I feel like that woman is like blessed with some like heavenly like spirit, honestly. She is like one of the like nicest people I've ever met. Like she was just like, it's like, oh, she's like a ray of light. Okay, so we got to wrap this topic up pretty quick here, but I do want to hear three J-pop artists that you genuinely love with all of your heart and why quickly uh like current or like overall or what of overall it doesn't have to be your top three just like three that you it can even just be like right now just like three that you really care about and you better not fucking say i'm yon i'm not gonna say i'm yon okay so one i really 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 love right now probably like the past couple of years um is going to be a man because i'm addressing the misandry in the community um is mukai taichi Oh, at least you didn't say Ken Hirai, thank God. Oh, God. Even though, <laughs> even though um, there is a similarity, which we are not going to discuss, there is a similarity there. Um, his new digital album, digital EP supplement, comes out um, 7-29, July 29th. So him, I really like him like a lot. Like He's a songwriter. Um, he's doing... Yeah, I saw the album artwork. It looked beautiful. Yeah. So I really enjoy him. I saw him live in 2018 and I was just like really like amazed. I liked him before, but then I loved him after that. Um, he has a nice voice. He's a songwriter. And also too, he's very like aesthetical. If that's aesthetical. Word. Gotcha. If that's a word. If that is a word. 
Um, someone else I really like, I'm basically gonna go with the people I saw in 2018 in concert, Sheena Ringo. Um, literally, when you talk about female soloists in Japan that have debuted since the 90s, when you talk about actual musical ability, in Japan, there's only really two. Utada. And Grandma Pringles. Oh my God. Like, Sheena Ringo, Grandma Pringles are the same person, just so you know. But like, let's, <laughs> let's be real. Kodakumi, she like came and went. Big for like, she was like a blip. Okay, yeah, but that was a great blip. Oh, Ayu, yeah, like being a musical mastermind, she's not up there. No. Utada and Ringo. No, she is not. And also her voice is really hard to listen to. Sorry. Utada's? No, fuck off. Obviously not Utada's. Ayu, hello. Well, Ringo's is hard to listen to at times too, but like, I, I really enjoy it. Okay, see, okay. So I, I do not like her anymore, but I will say that Show So Strip is like one of, is an album I really okay. deeply love with all of my heart. It's my favorite album. But when you talk to like Western stands, they like the teacup album. They like Karuki, whatever, whatever, teacup, 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 teacup. And it's overrated. 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 I said it again. Overrated. I personally think it is too. It totally is. It, it, it's good, but I think it's just because it's a lot of people's first um, exposure to experimental Japanese music that's like kind of poppy. So they think it's a little more grand than it truly is. I think the reason why a lot of Western fans kind of like have this reverence for KCK is because of the whole background that goes into it, where it's kind of just like the use of the archaic Japanese and like the symmetry and all of that stuff rather than the actual music itself. Yeah. And I think some of the music is really good. Like I love uh, Yatsuki Shigoto and there's like, there's some good moments on it, but I, I do think it's overrated as well. I mentioned already, I like Akiko Yanomit. Oh yeah. Great pick. Do you have, like, a specific album from hers that you really like? Um, so, a particular album I like from who? Oh, from Akiko Yano. Oh, my God. Um, a particular album. Um, Tadaima. Oh, that, that's, a, that's an absolute classic. I have, a, I have a CD copy of that, actually. Um, and on that note... I'm going to say my three that I'm going to name just right now without thinking about it twice. Obviously, Utada, um, Heisei Jump, and uh, one more, one more. Who will I say? Oh, uh, I'm going to say um, Takahashi uh, Yukihiro from Yellow Magic Orchestra because he's so fucking hot, honestly. Mm. So he, he gets the, the point just for that. Not you naming males. Like, this is truly, like, the villains united. No, I actually... This is... Con People don't know this about me, but I actually like a lot of male J-pop artists. Like, um, recently I was listening to um, uh, Orisaka Yuta. You yeah, that's right. He was good. And then one of my favorite recent artists, like, generally speaking, is um, Hasegawa Hakushi. I think he's super good. And... Clearly, I love all the Nariaki stuff. Like, he's also hot, and all of his music is good. Uh, not him taking photos that look like literally, like, swipe up to access my... Yeah, where is his OnlyFans? I'm going to tag him in this and demand that we get an OnlyFans. The gays deserve.
So why do you like Heisei Jump? Why do I like Heisei Jump? Okay, I have a nostalgic appeal for them because one of my good friends in university liked them, and she kind of introduced me, and I watched a lot of their, like, tele... Like, I almost said the Japanese word. I was going to say the terubi bangumi, their TV, like, content, basically. And I started getting, like, attached to their members, like, pretty quickly. And I, like, started getting crushes on them. And I think that their music is very listenable. Like, it's very fun and exciting to me. So, um... So who's the one you like, Muto? No, I like Okamoto Keito. Hmm... Yeah, he's cute. The the more popular members from that group I'm not so interested in. Like um Yamada Ryosuke is not really my cup of tea. But I like um I like Keito and I like um I like Chinen. Yeah, I think I like all of their personalities. It's really endearing and their music is very impenetrable if you're not like enmeshed in the culture but i do actually I... like some heisei jump songs like i do like um fantastic ride i like um, yes that's a that whole album is amazing i like maji sunshine um okay taste i like chow yes <laughs> weekender I think my favorite from them is Taste to You, where they literally say, how many jealousy. Oh, gee. But like, Beautiful. But, like, you liking the members that you like, it kind of reminds me of just, like, well, he also does, like, Morikami, Mori, Morikami Shingo from... Yes, he's so hot. <laughs> I'll never get over it. He, like, he really just, like, strikes my nerve for me. Why? Um, I really like, I think it's a hang-up about, like, an ex-boyfriend that I had. I really like very normal, slightly masculine men in their 30s, I guess. <laughs> like, I really like a futsu no otoko. So, um, I can really see that in him, and when he smiles, I die. Like, I, I want him to kill me when he smiles. I'm kind of afraid of that, too. Oh, really? T. <laughs> Like the tooth, like it's just like, uh. So I have a thing. Wait, about- you don't like you don't like the tooth? No, I don't. I have a thing about teeth. I think it's te- well, you would be fucked up if you had to live here because everyone, a lot of men have that little tooth thing, and it's like you either have to get on board for it being cute or you got to go home. Yeah, I felt the tooth, and I was just like, oh, that's. When did you feel the tooth? When I was there. Oh, you felt it. Oh my god, you felt the tooth. Jesus Christ. Well, you can... I don't... When I make out with people, honey, I don't make out with their teeth. What are you doing? Well, the thing is, though, is that, like, some of them have, like, a very, like... This is gonna sound like... Oh, this is sounding racist now. But, um... Some of them... <laughs> some of, in my experience, some of them have, like, a kind of, like, a... Like, a, like a weird way of kissing. Okay. No, uh, um... Okay, this is not entirely wrong, cliche, or stereotype. I do believe that Japanese men have a different style of making out than um, than Western men do. I think that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it is a little looser, perhaps. Maybe it's a little wetter. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of, you're here for that or you're not. <laughs> <laughs> you sounded like you had doubts. Um, 
But yeah, I think the thing is though, I think the thing of my thing about teeth is because like when I talk to people, I don't look in their eyes. I look at their mouth because the thing that is disgusting. You're something is wrong with you. (laughs) Oh my God. Because here's the thing. When you talk to somebody face to face, the words are coming out of their mouth. So you're going to look at the... Yeah, but the feelings are coming out of their eyes. But the words are coming out of their mouth. So you look at their mouth. You don't look at their eyes. You look at their mouth because that's where, like, the words are coming from. Okay, well, now that we have established Ronald's dental fetish, how about we take a break? Okay. Let's take a break. We're going to take a break. Aren't we back? We're back. Hello. <laughs> um, so we left off on some messy J-pop discussion that had absolutely no conclusion whatsoever, but um, I hope people appreciated learning a little bit about it, Learned I suppose. About, um, Japanese men kissing. That is what they ultimately probably took from this conversation. I will I will clarify that not all... Not- oh my god, hashtag not all Japanese men... <laughs> Hashtag not all Japanese men kiss like that, but I will say a majority do, in my experience. Mm-hmm. Wait, what if it's just the gays? It could just be gay men. Is it just gay men? Hmm, I don't know. I wasn't kissing any straight men there. Wait, wait, I can answer this because I do kiss straight men here sometimes. And the answer is that no, it is not discriminatory based off orientation. Okay. Well, because I do drag. You know, sometimes the heterosexual men... We're, we're not going to go with this. That's that. <laughs> okay. I, I'm too deep in my highball. I'm going to let myself get out of control. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to put the self-censor there. Um, on that Are note, stands. Right what did you say? Are you drinking alcohol right now? Yes, I just finished a whole highball. A whole tall boy highball. I always have one when I'm on the pod. Oh, I'm having a non-alcoholic mimosa right now. You're having orange juice. I'm having orange juice and ginger ale mixed together. That's quite fancy. It's a non-alcoholic mimosa. Well, I just opened my window. I lit up a cigarette because I ran out of highball and there's no more liquor in my house. So this brings me to the second topic on our docket today, which is stands. Standing. We stan. Are you a stan, Ronald? Oh, there's different degrees. There's different degrees. I mean, like, as far as, like, standing, I look at it as far as just, like, because I am an adult and I can't have every waking hour be devoted to my faves, I think the way to stand as an adult is to pay for things capitalism yeah so it's kind of just like there was this question that came up the other day about like how much money do you think you spent on like j-pop stuff and i was just like my most expensive j-pop purchase um i would say it hit a thousand dollars for you spent a thousand dollars on a single j-pop item when i tell you what it is when i tell you what it is it is a set of three posters of Sakamoto that were done in 1984. Actually, they were done in 1983 by Andy Warhol. 
Okay, see, you're an art collector as well, so I'm not going to I'm not going to put this in the stand bank. I'm putting it in the stand because it's like it's it's J punk related. I mean, like, so it's like three, that is true. It's three posters, and they're pretty much like posters for 1984. They're posters with like calendars at the bottom for 1984, and it is three different posters, and they each have a different um, portrait of Sakamoto by Warhol. And okay. I scoured eBay and Yahoo Auctions Japan to find all three. And when I did, it ended up being around $1,000. And then I guess you can okay. make my trip to Japan in 2018. That's a stan expense. Yeah, I went to I went to three concerts in 16 days. Yes, and you saw Grandma Pringles. Who else? I saw, I saw Ringo. I saw... I saw Sheena Ringo at um, Osaka Joe Hall. I then went to a radio festival, indoor radio festival at Osaka Memorial Hall. And I went there to see primarily Amino Parade. And then I also wanted to see Mukai Taichi because he was there. But then like after he performed, I was just like in full stand mode. There were some other acts that were there too, but I wasn't really there for them. Neither was anyone else because people were asleep during their sets, but people were mainly there for Tai Chi and for Amino Parade. They had the same fan base as I found out from a guy later that night who didn't have the tooth issue. Um, he did not feel the tooth. He didn't have the tooth issue. He didn't have the tooth, the extra tooth. So you didn't feel it either. I didn't feel the tooth on him, no. But the thing is, though, is that um, basically the fans that unite them are what I call the sad gays, who are basically just like, you know, they like, they wear a lot of black, they wear a lot of like, long, like, flowy, like, oh, God, you're describing me long, like, um, lab coat things. Like they like a lot of like black pants, kind of like cropped white leg pants with like combat boots and like black t shirts. Um, basically... Yeah, you just said me, unfortunately. That's what I wear, too. Well, here we are. We watch the same movies. We have some of the same taste in J-pop, and we wear the same faggoty clothes. How unfortunate. Yes. And so do the people there. And then my, um, my other concert I went to, which, funny enough, is my newest sad gay coat is, the, is pretty much the same one that Ichiro Yamaguchi from Sakan Action who's who I went to go see. I went to go see them at, I went to go see them in Omiya, Saitama. And like, they were doing a hall tour. Okay. So that's kind of the amount of money you've spent on standing. Um, I guess we should probably describe what a stand is for like the two people who don't know what that is at this point. What is it? A stand? Well, the thing is though, is that um, there's that whole thing about the Eminem song about like stalker fan, but I don't really think. That's that. right. I don't really think that like people really stalk these people. It's kind of just like a very devoted fan. But um, when people talk about Stan, most of the time they're talking about like Stan Twitter. Because the thing is though, is that pretty much all of the like marketing and promotion of music has moved from TV and magazines to the online world. Yes. So it's basically just like you take a selfie and you post on your Instagram and then your Stan army goes and just like spreads that. Like, look at, like, everything that's been happening with Nicki Minaj's, like, baby pictures in the past 24 hours. Yes. Where she announced she was pregnant, and she did, like, a full-on David LaChapelle photo shoot, and then, like, her stands spread it everywhere. Yes, so, um, 
I suppose that for those unexposed, um, a stan is someone who is like, quote, obsessive, unquote, about a specific musical artist. Or I guess more recently you can stand like actresses or whatever, but I, I'm not really here for that. So like it's mostly just about like um, the discourse around popular musicians um, and even not popular musicians sometimes. Oh, I and, have somebody in mind right now we're going to talk about. Oh, I can't. Well, just go for it. Who is it? Oh, when you said like unpopular, when you said unpopular, I had one person in mind. Okay, so the basically the one thing you need to know about stands and stand Twitter in general is that it mostly is like gay men. And so yes. when you said discourse, and I just think about that giant article that came out about Charlie XCX and how her gay stands seem to treat her better. When they Okay, so this is so funny because I just talked about this with my other friend, but like this is honestly like the the crisis of of stan culture. Um, and I, I will say it this way, which is that stan culture is very based on gay culture, obviously, because it's mm-hmm. mostly made up of gay men. And basically since, and even before, gay men had, like, prominently pronounced an identity for themselves, they were, like, ravenously following women that they could identify with. And they were also kind of ridiculing them and making fun of them and joking about it and, you know shooting the shit with the other gays about Judy Garland, yeah, you know? Yeah, like, she's facing the reason for pride. Like, that was the, re- the the alleged reason, is that, like, it was a bunch of gays who were at the Stonewall. They were at Stonewall because they were sad that day because they went to Judy Garland's funeral. There's no doubt that Judy Garland's death had a major effect on the stress that allowed for Stonewall to happen. So it's not a far reach by any means to say that Standing and being a stan and worshiping and hating and discussing uh, women in pop culture is an integral part of gay identity. Mm-hmm. And th- when it kind of got translated onto the internet as, you know, the internet happened or whatever, now all these gay men have moved on to websites and our discourse has become very tangible like there's always a tweet that's published and that tweet doesn't go away even if it's deleted like it exists in a very physical way and now that gay men are kind of reconciling with like the physical evidence of our behavior towards um popular women in music and everything now there's a lot of backlash about the way we interact which goes back to this charlie xcx article if you want to explain what it is i think one thing too i want to insert i want to insert right before is i think the way that celebrities today are is completely different than they were in the past like oh yes like a madonna stan in 1992 you were not going to meet her you were not going to like interact with her no, you would never have an interaction with her ever. There was no, there was no social media. She had like, but now it's just like, like the other day I saw like some guy taking a selfie with Dua Lipa in New York on the street. Yeah, because now a lot of people want to make their brand more accessible and more easy to consume as a form of content. Like, and a ton of artists have completely constructed their entire rise to fame on this notion like you know cupcake for instance mm-hmm. like the only reason is she's continues to have a career is because she recognized that she was popular as a meme with gay men and now all she does is reply to them and retweet them on twitter like i think the last of like the whole like diva era of just like people like 
Cher, Madonna, Janet, Whitney. I think the last person, I mean, Mar Mariah too, to an extent, but I think the last like person to debut of that whole lineage is Beyonce. Yeah. And which is interesting because, you know, people frequently characterize the beehive as um, extremely aggressive and reactive. But I think that part of the reason for that is because it's a little bit more enmeshed in like the old guard as mm -hmm. opposed to these newer artists that we have. Because they're not going to interact with Beyonce. They're not going to meet Beyonce. She's not going to retweet them. She's not going to like, like their post. She's not going to follow them. Whereas somebody like Charlie XCX will retreat you, she'll like you, she'll have like a meet and greet package, which goes into the article. So basically the thing is, is that Charlie XCX is having these meet and greets. And at the meet and greets, people would get her to like do weird things when they took pictures. Pose with poppers. Pose with poppers, sign balls of poppers. Um, sign um, a fleet enema. Sign a fleet, um, hold a key ring which contains the ashes of the fan's dead mother. And so basically the person was just like, me and my mom took a picture of Charlie XCX tonight, and you just see the boy and Charlie, and then yes, he's like, oh, my mom is dead. She's Her ashes are like in my key ring that Charlie's holding. And then the whole rhetoric that kind of was produced from this is that these misogynistic gay men are abusing women and using them as props and as toys and are degrading them. And I think it's complete fucking bullshit. Like, mm -hmm. I don't understand how these moralist gay men kind of reach this conclusion about themselves when the entire fact that Charlie XCX has a career is because she appeals to gay men and mm -hmm. she markets herself and she engages with that nonsense. Like during, during when shutdown first happened, like one of the first things, like the first couple of weeks, she literally had a, a um, Instagram live DJ set when she took over Grindr's Instagram. Exactly. And um, then the album she released during um, quarantine, um, how I'm feeling now has like a lot of contributions and like both in terms of like the art and the production of it um, from her fans. And she even had like people I know and like people who are like in my Twitter circle, like sending music in and like trying to get onto the album. So it's like, she so clearly is a part of like the scene. Like she's so clearly a part of like the gay nonsense that has like poppers and, you know, your enemas and your bullshit. Like she's so clearly a part of it that like, the backlash towards it was truly revolting to me. Like, I look at Charlie as, like, somebody, because, like, there's, like, there's artists that, like, went, back in the past, there was artists that, like, kind of, like, went and um, that were, like, big, but then there were ones that, like, weren't as big, but, like, they knew that, like, their main core were the gays. I think of somebody like, for example, like, Grace Jones, Yes. Or like Eartha Kitt. Yeah, they, they, they realized into their careers after like their appeal with the heterosexual mass had kind of worn off that like the way they were going to make their money is like on gay populations. And so they started appealing explicitly to them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like what a lot of like these young girls are doing now, like Kim Petras, for example. But because Kim's trans, so I think she already like isn't, in, she's included in that. But like a lot of like, 
like when I went to like the Robin concert last year at Madison Square Garden, like it literally felt like pride. It was 90% yeah. gay men. I think that people have the same experience at Charlie XCX concerts as well. Um, like it's like basically like a different form of pride, honestly, at this point. Mm-hmm. It's just like you can count the women there like on your hands. And you know what? I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing that gay men have like a cultural realm and like a praxis to communicate about this and share their thoughts and be with other gay men and to kind of engage with an old form of our culture, which is like the relationship we have with women. But now people are pushing back against it. And I I cannot locate exactly why that is. I think the thing is, though, is that I think it's like a lot of the younger gays. And I think that because it's something that I personally went through, too, when I was younger, which was this yeah. whole thing of just like where where it's like, you know that you're gay, but then you don't want that to be like the thing that defines you. So yes, sort of like push back against that. Cause I remember just like when they were talking about like having like gay history classes, I was like, what are they going to teach in these gay history classes? Like what is there to teach? But then like now as like an older person, there actually are things to teach as far as like gay history. But then. Yes. And I, I think that on that note too, that America really tries to culturally teach its gay people that they are just the same as everyone else and they can have a nuclear family unit and they can get married and adopt children and contribute to the workforce. Um, And that dream is so frequently communicated with gay young men that it's kind of like what they believe that they already have. Um, So they kind of like try to go pursue that and abandon like the radical queerness that was the main goal of, you know, queer activism in the eighties and then the early nineties. And this is kind of like a, a, I don't know, like um, a symptom of that like, pushback. Like Sylvia Rivera was not talking about getting a nuclear family. No. And you know what? Sylvia Rivera was almost certainly getting dick on the streets after Stonewall, along with a lot of gay men and trans women who were having their first experiences, you know, being publicly and openly sexual. You know, and people don't talk about that part of Stonewall, but it was a major component of it. Like, the thing is, though, I feel like, like a lot of these people who have, like, this, this goes back to, like, bandana dick. Um, a lot of these people that have, like, these moralistic outrages, I feel like these people, like, have never really, like, experienced, like, an actual pride. Because, like... No, 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 definitely not. Because, like, I go to, I go to pride every year, basically, in New York. And if you go down, like not like on the actual parade route, but if you go like in the streets, like around, there are like the lesbians, the lesbians. It's like tits everywhere. Of course. And, but because it's, you know, it it didn't used to be as visible and as like made so tangible on Twitter every single time, you know, these things happen, people kind of just like, they, they didn't have like the praxis to be enraged about it. It's kind of just like this moralistic outrage where like these like younger gays, this is making us sound so old now, these younger gays, they're having like, it's kind of like, I call like, it's kind of like a will and grace kind of thing. That's right. It's like, oh, I'm only here to like be funny and not be sexual. Maybe I'll kiss a man once a year, but it's kind of just like this like buttoned up like, 
we gotta be proper for the straights kind of thing. Yeah, the straights and the children. Which actually makes me think of, for example, about Pete Buttigieg. Right. And about how a lot of people like didn't like him because he didn't play into his queerness enough. Yeah, so there, they, there's no happy middle ground for gay men because, you know, I don't think that... I, I don't dislike Pete Butchug because of his relationship to his gayness. I think that, like, the life that he purports to be leading is totally fine. But I think that... um his like politics and his presentation of self is just like totally at odds with queerness. That's another topic entirely. But I I think that the gay men haven't really been able to build an ideal image for themselves. And the one that's advertised to us by the rest of culture is not working. But then also too, just like what is the image of gay men? Because like we have to be intersectional with this because like the idea of, race race does play into it because the idea of gay men basically is like he's built by white people he's white he has he's originally has brown hair but he's dyed it blonde um he's like six one he is about like 170 pounds he has a six pack he makes like $80,000 $80,000 a year at least. He lives in New York or LA or San Francisco. So... Yes, and and white men were creating this image and kind of selling it and making images of it in art at the time as well. So I'm like, now that's what everyone is kind of stuck with. Mm-hmm. And it does not apply to most of us. No. So it's kind of like, if you fall outside of that, then it's kind of just like... Hmm, what is the image? But I think the thing is, though, I think that I think that's like, I think that's changing. I think it, I think it has been changing for a while now. But I think like there are more like points of view. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, I think people are are talking more about it, which is a positive. Um, but kind of bringing it back to like stan culture it just is that gay men are dissatisfied with the image of ourselves that we have represented in the media we're also dissatisfied with like the lives that we're capable of living and instead of kind of going more radical they're pushing more conservatively and we obviously so many people are still engaged in like stan culture and everything but they do it with like an ironic air where they kind of decry it and they hate it and they pretend that they don't want to be a part of it and they're not like the white gays they're not like the other gays they're not you know this person this person this person when in fact they like are still completely contributing to that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like i just had a thought is stan culture like the peak form of gay capitalism oh my god it literally period like it literally period <laughs> Like, I just had that thought, just like, Stan culture, a bunch of gays sitting here, just like, literally doing free labor. It is free labor. And it used to be in the name of gays, and it used to be that we could take like these heterosexual women who were singing about the tragedies of their heterosexual love, and we could laugh at them. And we can kind of poke fun of it while still having the empathetic edge. 
you know, I do think of Judy Garland. And also to like make them advocate for advocate for us, like Madonna. And exactly. Whole, like promotion of just like safe sex and like AIDS awareness. Like. Yes, because M- Madonna was so enmeshed in the gay scene that like her entire crew on her tours and so many of her collaborators and her choreographers and basically everyone she worked with was gay. So she had to firsthand experience the HIV AIDS epidemic and then by that point became a really strong advocate for HIV AIDS prevention. But now that there's no unifying goal for the gay movement, it's just as kind of capitalist showboating where it's like the same as Google putting, you know, their pride logo up for a month. It's the same mm-hmm. as Facebook putting, you know, the rainbow on their image, you know, it it's, doesn't have a goal, but we're still interacting with artists in the same way where we're trying to bring them into the space but now they're in the space and they're not doing anything like but the thing is though, like what are they supposed to do now because like i don't want them to do anything personally like i i would i crave that distance where i can like make fun of them from afar but now if you say something negative about a woman on twitter you're a misogynist so basically what you really want is you really want to go back to the olden days where like pretty much they were on a pedestal and you were like, and you, they were up there, you're down here, but you're completely removed and you were just able to just go and like say whatever. Well, I personally like having my pop culture icons be more of images and less of people that I could associate with. Like, I think it's more. I do like so many people, so many younger people I know, like people who are like teenagers, they complain about how, like they look back it's just like such a skewed vision because like remember like someone saying to me on discord a couple of months ago just like how were people able to sell millions of albums without social media i was like well there was mtv there were talk shows like i was like i remember like i remember back in like the 90s when they would have like madonna will release a new video they would play the, that video every hour on the hour for 24 hours and then she would have like an hour long like release special and like things like that don't happen anymore and so it's just like now it's just like you have like your fave and she's just like releasing a selfie and like you're just you retweet oh we stan like okay but like now what yeah it's literally you're just work you're doing the work of her advertising team and like there's like some reward in that it's like fun but i think a lot of people's like goal with engaging that behavior is that they think that they're going to be able to interact with this icon and then have an interaction with them and be validated by them and have their existence confirmed but are these people really icons or are they just like citizens who just happen to have got a lucky break okay i'm gonna say that there are a few icons that are in this current era like i think that ariana grande is an icon. Um, I think she is an icon. I I, I, I can say I, I can don't see that. Well, I think that she is a very prominent touchstone for a lot of young women as well as young gay men. Um, Manchester, <laughs> uh, Pete Davidson. I a lot of her career is like a part of like the public narrative now. So yeah. I think that she don't see would qualify. I don't see as much fan interaction, which is a good sign as well. Exactly. See, because she is more capable of divorcing herself from 
divorcing, you know, Ariana Grande as an image from Ariana Grande, the human being, and, like, knowing how to play to that more in a more complex way, I find her content more engaging as well. Unlike Lady Gaga, for example. Yeah, Lady Gaga is just pure fucking chaos. Um, And I do... She actually has recently kind of re-sparked my gay intrigue because uh, watching her chaotic, like, disastrous unfolding in the public eye like has the train wreck element to it. So I do like to watch that. Um, And also I think Traumatica is, like, kind of good, but... I actually really like Rain on Me, which is the first time I've ever really... I don't know if it's the first, but, like, it's the... It's, like... One of the very few times I actually will admit that a Lady Gaga song was good from Jump. Okay. Okay. I I don't disagree with that. I mean, I like, um... What was that single that she had for Joanne? I don't know about the Cowboy Hat album. Okay, I don't know about the Cowboy Hat album, but there was a perfect illusion I think is good. (laughs) I liked... Because the thing is, though, is that, like... I saw Lady Gaga several times, like in the early, like when she first came out, like 2008, I was just like, oh my God, this bitch, she needs to like go somewhere. Like it was like, she was performing, cause like she was like basically doing like a bunch of different things in New York, cause she's from New York. Right. That's where, so like she would perform like at Splash and I was just like, oh, I don't like this girl, she's performing. And then you go like to Fire Island and she's like performing at some party on Fire Island. I'm just like, why is she here? Is she following me everywhere? And then I remember, <laughs> I remember just like some of my friends were just like, oh, Lady Gaga, she's releasing her album. She's having like an event at midnight, the Virgin Megastore. And I'm just like, I don't want to go to that. And then I remember. Well, the thing is, is that she, she really pandered. Like yeah. she, before all of these Stan artists like started to figure out how they could pander to homosexuals and get them to do their work for them. She saw that and she did that way before a lot of other people did. The last bit of the Virgin Megastore story is one of my friends at the time, he actually, she actually like went out in the crowd and like he managed to like snap off a little piece of her wig. And then he went and home and he wove like a headband with like the hair and like rope and like little beads. And then he wore it out that following weekend. Oh my god! With like a crop top and like denim shorts that were so short he had to tuck, and his little like Lady Gaga hair headband. That's. I don't know if it's beautiful or tragic. I'm gonna say it's both. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was. It was. Yeah. Well, this is before the fame, so he really was just going for <laughs> it. Two thousand. Damn. This was, like, literally, like, right when her album first came out. Back before oh my God. Poker Face. Before Poker Face. I, I, you know, I'm from a little bit before your time. So I remember when I was in middle school and Poker Face and Just Dance were coming out. And they were very thrilling to me. And uh, when Born This Way came out, I was like, it was, like, the end of my junior high school. I did feel, like, seen and, like, validated or, like, whatever. I don't think that, like, the scope of her career is bad. I just think it, it's, like, a little tacky post-text. I just, like, I didn't like Born This Way because it made me feel, like, I guess because, like, I was not the target because, like, I was already, like, an adult then. 
I think yet no one needed to tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was kind of just like, I don't know. I just got like kind of like this like victimizing. Like I don't like victimization. I don't either. I hate it. And that's one of the things that makes me so fucking furious about so much stand discourse lately is that it's mostly about victimization and it's about how has this person been wronged and how did how should we shame the people who wronged them? And it's putting these people in these narratives that they didn't ask to be put in and like no one else did. And there's no productive result. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to start on cancel culture or anything like that. I'm, I'm not going to say anything about canceling, but I will say that. Oh my God. I like, think something on canceling really a real bit. Relating back well, go ahead for a moment. Like this is like, so like J pop stand Twitter, hack Twitter, basically like, so many people, not so many people, but like a number of people have like recently tried to cancel me. Oh yeah. I actually, I've, I've watched some of this unfold. Because of the fact, because of my, because I've been saying the truth. Like I, like when that whole like J-pop female soloist ranking came out, I said something about Kodakumi and I was just like, how many of you guys would actually like her? if she wasn't so sexual. Oh, I remember that. And I think that I I don't entirely agree with your point. Like, I think that she has, like, a lot going for her that's, like, outside of her sexuality and everything. But I, I do recognize your point. And anyway, moving on from that, cancellation. They did come for you. They really tried. Yeah, and it's just, like, they came for me. Oh, I think you were part of it because, like, someone mentioned Ringo. And I was just, like... And you were part of like the anti Ringle, Ringle. Oh my God, Ringa, Ring. Oh my God, you were anti her. You were anti anti Grandma Pringles. And then so like, I remember saying something about Kodakumi and being accused of being misogynistic, and I was just like, "Well, like she's a woman in her thirties in Japan. Like if she wanted to be a success, she could do this." And people were like, that is misogynistic. I'm like, it's not misogynistic. It's the truth. It's realistic. It's realistic. Because look at the artists who have any con- like continued relevancy who started in that era. And it's... Yeah. It's I'm going to say it, it's just Utara. It's just her. He, like, Ayu has been continually popular because of the really, really dirty little drama that she just, like, sold her soul to. But, like, Hickey is, like, the, o- the only one of them who, like, did not, yeah. like... She knew how to change her image when she got older. Yeah, but there are, like, ones that came out later. Actually, some that are still, like, okay, women that are popular that are over the age of 30 in Japan. Well, one that came out the same time, but no one really talks about internationally, is Aiko. Oh, I love her. Aiko's still popular. Utada's still popular. Ringo's still popular. And then one that came out later, like, in the later 2000s, that's still popular, like, in her 40s now, I think, is Juju. Yeah. And you know what? The thing is, is that like, I'm going to say that I do believe that obviously women should be able to continue to be sexual and have that image like later into their careers. But like, realistically speaking, in Japan, that's it's not going to work that way. And it can work a little differently in some countries, but even Madonna has had to really struggle against the pop cultural landscape for continuing to choose to be sexual. And some people can keep trying to do it, but, like, realistically, like, unless, like, you have, like, that big force behind you, you're not going to be able to convince the masses. So it's not, like, necessarily a matter of misogyny. It's, like, one of realism. I think in Madonna's case, it's also a matter of just, like, bad surgery. 
Okay, I don't want to talk about Madonna's surgeries tonight. Okay, I I will say there is a certain somebody who I used to stand when I was younger, who is fifty and is on a stripper pole at the Super Bowl, and people are just like, "She looks amazing." Um, Bjork, Jennifer Lopez. Oh Jesus! I don't hate Jennifer Lopez. I just have no certain interest in her. But the thing Whatever is she, like, she can do what she wants to do. People still accept Jennifer Lopez being sexy, even though she's fifty, because she still looks sexy. Which goes to the fact about like Nami, like Nami was able to like still have the same image because even though she yeah, she could still be sexy because she still was. Okay, this is this is the part where we're gonna get canceled. But the fact of the matter is that like if you can't sell the sexy, then maybe you shouldn't. Yeah. Like sorry. <laughs> I feel like I feel I literally when you said like we're gonna feel like we're being canceled, I literally put my head my hands on my chest like that um like that edit of like that photo of Adrian Bailon from the yeah. Bill when um when Tamara was talking about her husband not being racist, you know, he works for Fox News and then she left the show like a week later. Um Right. Yeah. I am not a misogynist. I, I love women. Either. I base my entire life around them. And I also do not want to be a woman and I have no envy for them. I just simply feel that in the realistic landscape of pop music that if you don't have it and you continue to show it, then perhaps it will not be so good for your career. Yes. Women, like, you can do like a little like bit here and there. But like, don't oh, whole persona. Like for example, like I love Yuki. Yuki was in her forty, like she was like forty-five, and she released her album cover looking like a Richard Prince motorcycle girl in, in, in hot pants, bent over a motorcycle, and it was like sexy. But it was sexy for a moment. You got a moment of sexy if you're like older, but don't make it your whole persona, like someone like Kodakumi. Yeah, I mean. Coda has kind of phased back on the sex stuff, you know, a little bit. Like, I, I, it's, it's tough because I can tell that like her image is changing, but it's like it's too late. Like she lost the relevance already, and it's not coming back. Mm-hmm. How do you feel and, about? Like, oh yeah, go ahead. You're talking about standing. Like, how do you feel? Like, how do you relate? Like the whole standing thing to like J-pop. Well, um, I think that the community is much smaller, so everything is much more augmented. Um, I think that most people who are on Twitter and are really into J-pop are, like, at most, like, one or two bacon degrees away from each other. Like, we're all very closely connected. Um, and it makes our personal dramas and disagreements, like, much louder. <laughs> we're like a little soap opera. Oh, it's very soap opera. Like, you were just talking about how you are getting canceled. Um and there is that one Bianca girl. I don't remember her username. I just remember like that. And we have always been like one step away from each other, but like never like quite close. And like when I was tweeting some jokes about Hamasaki Ayumi, she uh, got angry with me and started like calling me a white gay and like doing like the gay distancing thing. And then she blocked me and I was like, and then a bunch of other people got angry at me and I was like this could happen on like normal stan twitter but it's much larger and much more obvious in the world of Japanese pop music do you know who blocked me on twitter during that whole oh, thing please tell me please tell me Wikipedia. 
oh my god you said too many bad things about hickey and now it's over no i literally was talking about i was literally talking about kodakumi and about how like oh well she loves her too she loves ku she was just like i was just like well the thing is though is that like like i said before about like fact-based opinions i was just like my opinion is based on fact which trumps yours which is just based on how you feel i was just like do you look at the charts every week for the past like six years well she does okay i will say that like i i do understand why she you also have a very specific twitter communication style which is that um you will not let a thread end (laughs) i okay so one thing you should know is that when i was in high school i made it to the all-state debate team oh my god fuck off i hate you disgusting yeah, I was like in high school. I was like, I in high school, I did have a varsity letter, but it was like for like the academic teams, like the scholastic and the debate team. Now you have to pay the price. What's the price? The price is getting blocked by Wikipedia on Twitter. The thing is, though, is that I actually did like her content and I actually did want to include her in a project I was thinking of doing. But maybe I'll just ask someone to, like, you know, kind of, like, say, hey, Ronald wants to talk to you. She'll be like, fuck off. Hate him. No, I'm sure she, she's not aggressive, please. I'm sure she'll, she'll bite. Oh, my God. And I've been soft blocked too. I didn't know what soft block was until, like, I, until, like, I went. And um, I had no idea what that was. Until, like, I would, like, see somebody retweet somebody. And be like, huh, I haven't seen their tweets recently. And then I go to their page and I'm just like, why did I unfollow them? And then I'm just like, wait, they soft blocked. They soft blocked you. Yep. I was just like, I have been soft blocked by so many people recently. And then like somebody went and referred to me as X. Oh, yeah, classic. I, I'm there too. Someone just said that about me yesterday because, um, I was defending Azealia Banks again, and um, like, X-Oomph is a fucking weirdo. I was like, okay, well, you really burned me, you fucking 18-year-old child. So we should just do, like, a list of things that we like, that we have in common. Okay, so Azealia Banks. um, I didn't know that you liked her, actually. I went to go see Azealia Banks. Okay, so, like, one time. Oh, you saw her? Please die. I'm so fucking jealous. Okay, so I saw her. So, like, one time, I had dinner one time with my mother and my grandmother. And so I was, we were leaving dinner and my friend calls me and she's just like, do you want to go see Azealia Banks tonight? And I'm just like, and you did, I'm like, what time? And she's just like, well, the thing starts at 10 and she's going on after 10. I was like, yeah, it's like, it's like in half an hour. I'm like already like in the car. I can just like go over there. And then, so she didn't come on stage till 1.30. She was done by 1.45. Oh, yeah. That sounds like when I saw Mickey Blanco, who um, went on stage for half a song and then was like the audio kind of fucked up. And then, like, she just laughed. Yeah. Azealia. In any case, yeah, I love Azealia. (laughs) Azealia Banks. Actually, one of my friends, one of my friends, I call him. I refer to him as museum party guy because basically um, he's like he's like the most like waspy person I've ever been friends with like his name just sounds like money um okay and so basically he just like every museum in new york 
he's like on their advisory board for like their young collectors or young patrons board. Like literally like his name has been like right underneath Nikki Hilton's for parties, for like party planning. So right. basically, um, so basically he was just like, wouldn't it be amazing to get Azealia Banks to like, you know, like do like the young collectors party at the Guggenheim? I'm like, Azealia Banks performing at the Guggenheim? She's, he's like, well, the XX has done it. Why can't Azealia Banks? I'm like, if you make that happen, I will go to that party. Well, did it happen? No, it didn't happen. But he's trying yeah, to. Yeah, it did not happen. I was like, Azealia Banks at the Guggenheim. Make that happen. But it's just like, well, you like the movie Cruising. Yeah, okay. So we both like Cruising. We both like Paul Schrader. Um, we both like Azealia Banks. Um, we both like a big chunk of Utada's career. Oh, the controversy. It sounds, like, it sounds like you like Madonna, but I can't really tell. You do like Madonna. There's, yeah, I love Madonna. Um, Yukio Mishima. Yeah, we both love Mishima. Oh, my favorite little gay fascist. Did you buy that thing I sent you? No, I didn't. I forgot. So the thing is, though, is that, like, I've been trying to buy... Actually, I was like... Oh, the book? No, not the book. So the thing is, though, is that there's this one... He was a friend of his at the time, this photographer named Tamatsu Yato. So basically, Tamatsu was gay and he wait is this the guy who wrote the the autobiography about his experience with him no this was the photographer uh, okay because that's a different faggot that was engaged with anyway continue so basically tomato yato his whole thing is just like taking pictures of like muscular masculine japanese men in like the late 60s early 70s he released three books i have all three um so basically he was friends with mishima and so he was just like, basically started going to the gym and he was like, I'm hot now, take photos of me. And Tomatsu was just like, okay. And he put him in his book. Oh, is this the, the Rose photo book? No, that was Ekyo Hosoi. Okay, so this one is what? This one, okay, so Tomatsu Yato's books are Otoku, Studies of Japanese Men, Naked Festival, and what a, Young Samurai. Sexy. So, yeah, so basically, he went to the gym, he started taking photos of him, and, like, you know the one photo of him just, like, squat with the samurai sword on the Yeah, 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 I know exactly which one it is. You don't even have to say anything else. I already know. So, that was a photo by Tomatsu Yato, and it's in the book, Otoko. So... Okay, now you're hunting for that. The actual po There's a poster. There's a poster Ooh. in 1971. And the thing is, though, is that it comes up sometimes on Yahoo Auctions Japan. And every time it comes, the thing I hate about Yahoo Auctions Japan is that their auctions don't end. Right. They just keep going. They just keep going. They just keep going. And I'm just like, I don't, I sat there for 45 minutes. And I just kept going and going and going and going. And then, like, I was just like, I can't go anymore. I have to. I have to go to bed so I can go to work in the morning. And you didn't get it. I didn't get it. Tragic. I was up to $300 and I didn't get it. Oh my God, that sucks. So one day I will have it and it's massive. It is literally two feet long almost. Well, on that beautiful note, I think that um, 
I think you need to come back on the pod so we can talk about a Mishima book together sometime. Um, this was so fun. Thank you. It was fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and bring me on a Rama sometime for real. I will bring you on. I was actually thinking of bringing you on because the thing is, though, is, I was actually thinking about bringing you on for the Pride one. But the thing is, though, is that like I was so busy with going back to work and everything that I, like kind of like at the last minute I was like, oh my god, I have to do it like now, or I'm not going to do it until next year. But next oh, year, oh no, girl, I got you. Next year I'm going to do Pride, and you will be on. But like I'll probably will try to have you on sometime before. So I want to do something. Can't wait. I want to do something on female soloists. Okay, yeah. Well, I'll be there. So just let me know. <laughs> That's the thing I wanted to get Hikipedia on too. I, I wanted to. Oh, make, should do it. Should do it. Should do it. I'll, I'll. Yeah, we'll talk to her about it. I wanted to get her, you, me, Hannah, because she's my co-host, and then also maybe like um, Kimi no Beat because she's a woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she does the translations for the lyrics because I wanted to have like women involved in this because I didn't want just a bunch of queens cackling about girls. Yeah, good call. <laughs> Mm-hmm. okay well we'll look forward to it um so i think from this one we're gonna wrap it up so thanks everyone for listening good night girls and matane matane matane